You're listening to What The Four Podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast. Today's episode's actually our first ever one with a goalkeeper. However, it's not lost to me that it's my favourite goalkeeper of all time to mark the occasion. Um, welcome to the show, former Sunderland, Stoke City and of course Denmark goalkeeper Tommy Sorensen. How are you doing Tommy? Are you alright? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, obviously stuck down in Australia. Um, I've been here for, for a few years but uh, obviously uh, still remembering the the, the great days uh, you know, joining Sunderland and uh, going through, you mentioned a, a couple of the other clubs and I had a great time in in, uh, in England and, and obviously still still miss it, uh, even though uh, I enjoy the weather in Australia. Before we like do delve into your career, I think you're currently in Melbourne, is that right? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. So I, I finished my, my career playing two years uh, at Melbourne City, who's the uh, connection to to Manchester City and um, yeah, yeah, I had a great time and settled. Now the kids are are happy here and the lifestyle is good. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's far away from Europe and and I do miss it, but uh, you know it's still uh, you know it's, it's nice for the moment for sure. It's not a bad place to be. I imagine it's slightly better than where I'm staying in Sunderland at the moment. No offense to my my home city, but I can imagine Melbourne's got a little bit more. Well, not at the moment. Nothing more to do because of lockdown. But I imagine there's one or two more things when lockdown is uh, restricted. How are you coping with lockdown and things like that? What's things like in Australia at the moment? Is it similar to the UK or slightly different? No, actually, um, you know, Australia like they've they've gone into a, a strict lockdown, but but there isn't really a, a huge outbreak. They've got it fairly under control and. Uh, not a lot of deaths, uh, thank God. You know, I think there's uh, probably about 80 uh, in total, uh, 80 or 90. Uh, so, th- so that's, uh, you know, n- nothing outside of the normal flu. Um, but again, uh, you know, it, it, again, you're trying to protect, the, <clears throat> obviously, the health workers. You're trying to protect the system. And, uh, you know, just watching what's going on in the, in, you know, yeah, in the UK, in Spain, in America, other countries, uh, I think we've we've got we've got off lightly so far, um, but yeah, they're they're taking it serious, and you know we're staying indoors and and, and respecting all that. Talking about uh, you know before we go fully into your career, we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into your early life in in Denmark because I went to Copenhagen a couple of years ago, and I must admit, if it wasn't for the fact that like coffee was about 10 pound for just one um i actually really really loved it and i'd love to go back and i've looked at a few different but there's loads of players that have been produced from that sort of triangle area like molby uh, thomas gravison how popular was football in that triangle area where you were born when you were a child oh there were some uh you know traditional clubs uh, especially viola uh, you know over the years you going back uh, alan simonson who who he was european player of the year came from from viola back in the day um, you know, so, so, so it, it's always been a production, um, of, uh, you know, of talent. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure if there's anything significant in that area, if the, the water holds something different, <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I had a great upbringing, uh, I, I played at a small local club that, uh, you know, had great coaching, great setup. Um, so that, that supported me all the way through to sort of the next stage of, of my career and, uh. Um, managed to to play for for some some clubs in that in, in that region or dance and and Bali obviously so yeah so it was uh, 
a great environment. Uh, football in Denmark is is very well structured uh, from an early age, and uh, also the reason why they've been able to produce so many players and still do because it's it's a small country, but uh, everything run runs very smoothly and uh, organized. Did you have any particular heroes growing up? Any icons, idols? Oh, you always have. Uh, you know, you look at the, obviously the national team at the time, and and we had. Uh, you know, we had some some really good players. We had uh, Preben Elkir Larsen, who who was a striker. Uh, I, mean, I remember going on a on a holiday as a kid to Verona, where he played at, at the time, and and stood uh, outside the training ground and, and managed to get an autograph and a picture. And uh, uh, yeah, and obviously then you know you look at that Peter Smeichel. Obviously uh, later in my career, he uh, you know you know just looking at what he did and and having. Also, the opportunity to then, uh, you know, have a, a little stint with him at an, in the national team, all those things. Um, but yeah, looking looking back earlier, I didn't sort of hone in on, on goalkeepers. It was more sort of who was who was hot at the time, and uh, uh, the strikers doing Michael Aldrup as well were doing pretty well. I was going to say, did you always play as a goalkeeper? Because it feels like there was always one kid at school that was like determined to be a goalkeeper, but everyone else was like, I want to be a centre forward or a winger. Nobody wanted to be. For famous Jamie Carragher quote, no one wanted to be Gary Neville, um, <laughs> and it was always one guy that was a goalkeeper, and it was the guy that always stayed in. But were you always a goalkeeper, or did you play elsewhere as well? Um, you know, again, uh, it, you know, coincidence sometimes. You know, I, um, I'm, yeah, as as any kid, I just started playing football, and and um, um, you know, I remember the first time I played in goal was actually because I I hurt myself uh, in a game. Probably when I was probably eight years old or something, I hurt myself, and uh, you know the, the I don't think the coach had any idea what to do with me. I was I was I was sobbing on the sideline, and he said, oh, "I'm going goal," and and we we were struggling in that game, and I went in goal, and I must have done pretty well because uh, I stayed there for a while. Um, had a had a few since then because I, I I played in a team where we were winning all the time, so. Uh, I got a bit bored in goal, and I actually managed to to play striker, defender, you know, a few other positions. But I always knew when it came to it, it was only for like maybe a year, or a year and a half, and then um, you know, I always knew there, there was there was something that just attracted me to goalkeeping. You know, the the challenge and and uh, you know, just you know, there's there's some individual. Uh, individualism in, in, in goalkeeping that, that you don't quite get as a uh, maybe as a striker you also they, they can be sort of uh, a little bit uh, self-centered but as a goalkeeper you sort of you know you're on the edge all the time you either you know yeah. you save the team or you so I quite like that challenge and the, the physical aspect and uh, yeah so there, there was many things that attracted and, I, and again you know you quickly sort of gather that you, you, you're pretty good and uh, you know I wasn't a the greatest outfield player so it's yeah, just a natural thing and <laughs> uh you know I, I knew that was my calling and um yeah and then i went from there so um worked yeah, out it, it yeah, worked out course. all right you <laughs> didn't yeah, do too bad um now as it was i think obviously you got picked up by odense um i think it signed as a teenager i would imagine sort of coming up but the coach who signed you at the time i don't know whether you would have had too much dealing with him but was it vigo jensen he was part of uh, he was part of the first team setup, um, so I, I was already there. Um, I, I, yeah, again, it, you know, I went through trials for for 
you know, they do like state teams and yeah. uh, sort of, uh, you know, local teams and state team. And I got into the state team. And that, that's obviously why I, where I caught the interest from Odense uh, because they were gathering all the best youth players in that region. And uh, I went in there and I could play at the highest level in the, in the what would be the youth Premier League, um, you know, uh, in today's language. And um, yeah, and then from there, I forced my way into the, the youth, uh, youth international setup and, um, and, and again into the first team. And, and Vigo Jensen was one of the, the coaches at the time. And uh, yeah, no, I had a, a, a great uh, mentor as well in a, in a guy called Lars Ho, who was, who was a, you know, he's got the record for most games in the Danish league and um, also a great person. So, so I just picked up a lot of traits, his technique and, and, he, and also his person, personality, his respect for his, his players, uh, his, his respect for the fans. Uh, you know, all those things is something that I took with me um, uh, and had some great times. Uh, we had a great stint in, in Europe and... Uh, I was at the Bernabeu. We beat Real Madrid in the UEFA Cup uh, one year with Odense. Uh, that was still one of the, the the greatest achievements, I think, in Danish club football. And <laughs> I, I, I was on the bench, and it was as a young player. I was, I think, I was only eighteen or something. Uh, you know, that was an amazing, uh, amazing night in in Spain. Uh, so yeah, so I had some great times there at Odense. I was reading the uh, I was reading about that on on uh, the internet last night when I was doing my research on Odense because I'll be honest I, I my research or my my know how of Odense wasn't too fantastic other than you played for them um, and it was called the miracle of Madrid wasn't it who was in the Madrid team when you beat them that day oh they had a you know obviously Michael Laudrup uh, yeah from a Danish perspective uh, Hierro Redondo yeah I think but. Um, uh, with Bodo Ilkner, the German goalkeeper, was in goal. Yeah. Um, Carlos? Carlos, maybe? No, no that, that was before him. Um, uh, uh, the guy that ended up at Blackburn, uh, left back. Uh, Salgar- uh, Michel Salgado. Salgar- Salgado, yeah. yeah. No, but they had a, a, a fantastic team uh, at the time. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. It was a good team and, and we were given no chance and we, we, we lost the home leg 3-2 and, uh, you know, went down there. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the keeper that I was talking about had a fantastic game. Uh, just rolled our luck, uh, scored a goal and then I think it was three minutes injury time. Only time we are in the, in the box in the second half, we bundled it over the line. So it just it was just magical um, uh, and a and a fantastic celebration afterwards. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you know as a young player, amazing to be be part of. Even even though I never managed really, I played two intertotal games for for Odense, but I never managed to to really uh, play a game. And and when I was about to play a game, and and actually that was part of me. You know, when I went to Sunderland, um, we, I'd actually. Uh, because obviously the pressure of, of me as a young keeper and, and uh, Lars Hur, who was talking about, uh, had actually talked about stepping down because he could, he could sense that it was either, you know, uh, my future or, <laughs> um, and, and we had actually agreed that he was going to finish, that he, he was happy to finish his career and, and, um, and I was going to take over. And, and that, that summer, uh, that, that's when all the, the transfers and all the interest came and, and eventually then, uh, I went to Sunderland, so um, so I never managed to play any sort of proper league games for Odense, which is, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sad thing because they, 
you know, again, I spent some great years there and, and a lot of my development happened there. So, uh, but that's obviously, uh, that's, that's football for you. It's funny you mentioned that because when I was looking through obviously statistics and your, your really early career and the stuff before Sunderland, I remember when you signed for Sunderland and it was always you signed for Odense, which you did, but you actually played most games um, sort of on loan for, I think it was Svenborg and you also played for um, Vila, as you said right. before. Now, there's, there's one particular person that isn't a Sunderland player, has no connection to Sunderland, no connection to me at all, but I love him because of the stories I've heard about him and I noticed that you've played with him throughout your career and you probably know where I'm going, but you played on loan with uh, Thomas Gravison, um, obviously played in Denmark as well. How great of a character was he and do you have any funny stories about him? Uh, he's, a, uh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a funny, he's a, an aggressive, he's, a, he, he, you know, on a pitch, you know, he's an enforcer there and, uh, uh, just got a bundle of energy. Like he, he would never stop talking. He would never stop flying around. And 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 you know, sometimes in, when you're in camp with a national team, or if you, when I was at Viola, when we went to like a preseason tour or something, it's great for the first couple of days. But then, you know, he, he's just a, a like just a constant uh, <laughs> noise in the background. Uh, but you know, again, an amazing, a uh, great person, amazing uh, footballer. Uh, you know, a bit like a Roy Keane sort of yeah. player. You know, someone who, you know, who would give everything for the team. You know, who will run the hard yards, who put in the tackles, who who would, who would intimidate the 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 opposition. Uh, you know, a player that you would hate to play against because you you would just, you know, you just hate it all the time. Uh, but I, I remember a couple of times actually at, at you know Viola. You know, he was a bit of a crazy character, and and he uh, he got this love of of fast cars and motorbikes and um, he was actually dropped from a game because the coach had had uh, had had he was driving on the on the motorway in just outside Viola and uh, that was a day before the game and and he came on his motorbike with about 200 kilometers an hour and he recognized him <laughs> and he didn't think it was a good look uh, so he actually dropped him from a game just as a warning um, you know uh, so so yeah, he was always living on on the edge, and uh, you know, just taking you know, taking the coaches, taking the the players, taking everyone to to sort of the brink of you know where you either love or hate him. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he's um, yeah, like a fantastic player. You know, I love to I love playing with him. Uh, and again, he, he had a again great career with Everton and uh, uh, Real Madrid and Celtic. Uh, so yeah for some really huge clubs and I sometimes feel bad when I ask questions about Thomas Gravison's character but he's it, it's testament to his character that his character is almost more well known than his career when he played for such huge football clubs I mean world renowned football clubs Celtic, Real Madrid, Everton everyone knows them but it's just you hear so many stories about him and I mean obviously I think he like plays cards professionally or something now in America and is married like a a supermodel or something like that. And it just like, <laughs> I just, I just love him. He's just, he's one of those characters that you very rarely see in the game these days. Yeah. You know, again, I don't think there's sadly, uh, there's, there's sadly not much room for, for those characters. You know, we, we you know, you, you're part of the media and, uh, you know, just the scrutiny, you know, it's, it's so sure. hard to step, step outside the line. You know, I'm, I'm sitting now and, and watching uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, Last Dance, and you see the likes of, of Dennis Rotman and and just the things that they got away with, which, which part of their character. And, but it just wouldn't, 
you know, it just wouldn't fit in today's because you would be absolutely destroyed, um, you know, if you had that. And even looking back at my time at, at Sunderland, you know, just the, the relaxed atmosphere. I remember we, at times, uh, went to the pub on a Tuesday and, and had a couple of beers and uh, met fans and everyone, uh, you know, and, and then we went out and we, we spilled our blood on the pitch on a Saturday. But, but again, that was accepted. But today it would be held against you. And so, so the yeah. times have changed. And, and sadly, those characters, uh, they struggle to exist uh, in, in today's environment, uh, which is sad in some way. Um, talking about you moved to Sunderland as it was before we go too deep. Um, you had already been dubbed, I think, in the few games that you played for, I think it was Viola. Uh, it's like the new... Peter Schmeichel, because he'd had, I think, three or four really good games. At what point did you realise that you were being scouted by British clubs? Um, uh, you know, again, I, I was involved with with the under twenty one setup, and and uh, you know that 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 always brings you in the in the limelight to some extent. Um, uh, and I actually, there was some, you know, during that summer when when I eventually ended up in Sunderland. Um, you know, I had discussions with uh, Ajax uh, Amsterdam, um, and uh, there was a few Danish players at Udinese in Italy at that time as well, um, and and they had a, a you know a good eye to Danish players. So, so I, I actually had a meeting with them in, in Copenhagen as well, uh, and I, and then I played at that time. I actually didn't play for Viola. I played for Svendborg in in what would be the championship in the second division in Denmark, and. Um, uh, Tony Coden uh, was actually uh, he, he came across uh, twice, uh, and I didn't think much of it because we at that time and like, we were playing the, the, at least the first game we were playing we, we were playing in uh, you know more or less a field uh, with just a, some barriers around a typical sort of non-league uh, stadium, uh, probably about a hundred people watching, uh, and I thought you know you got some you know some people from England watching this surely they can't be too impressed. Uh, and um, and then you know when everything you know everything was going on, the season came to an end, and uh, um, my agent, uh, who was Sean Lairby, who was connected to, in England as well with Paul Stratford at that time, uh, mentioned Sunderland. And and uh, to be fair, um, I hadn't really uh, kept kept an eye on what was going on in Sunderland, and uh, I knew I knew they had been in the Premier League and. Uh, but but not really, you know. In Denmark, the main focus is on Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester United, uh, all the the big teams. Um, so yeah, so just uh, uh, they said, go and have a look at it. Um, you know, you know, you like it maybe or you don't. You know, we have other options. And so I went over there and, and uh, had a had a, a talk with with Peter Reid. We drove up from Manchester, drove up to to Sunderland. And yeah, I knew straight away after I've been there for for half a day. I knew exactly that that was um, that's what I wanted. You know, I loved the passion. Uh, you know, they actually showed me. Uh, I think it was the semi final against Sheffield United. Um, oh, what a night! What a night <clears throat> that was. Yeah, you know, just to, to just to show me the, the the you know the passion and the the atmosphere. Uh, Mickey Gray actually dropped in the office uh, uh, while I was there and and you, you know, still you still signed <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah that, that was his when he I think he had that uh, it was just uh, you know he was distraught obviously because it was just after the uh, 
Oh, it was that you know that summer after the, yeah. the playoff loss, and uh, he had his white, uh, he had his white hair. Remember? Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> his bleached hair, uh, you know. But again, just that half a day uh, sold it to me because um, that—that's what I wanted. I want—I just wanted to be given a, a chance. Um, and again, it was in a championship, so it wasn't—you know—it wasn't the Premier League, so it wasn't a huge step. It was still a, a big step for my for myself, but it wasn't sort of a an impossible step, uh, and Peter Reed was willing, uh, even though I was, you know, as you said, I was a, a pretty unknown uh, in Denmark. You know, he was willing to to give me a shot, and that, that's all I wanted. I just, you know, uh, wanted a chance uh, to, you know, to cement myself, and uh, yeah. So as again, it was really a no-brainer uh, from from then on. And, and a funny story, actually, um, I ha- I had been. So that was in '98 in the in the summer when I signed. So in '97 in December, Peter Smichael had organised for me to go to Manchester United for a week's training. So I went there for a week and uh, had a great experience. They invited me back in February, so I, I went there again. And uh, as it came to it, so I had signed for Sunderland probably about, a, and it wasn't official. So I'd been there, signed, we had agreed. Uh, a week later, I'm sitting in my apartment in, in Denmark, and the phone rings, and it was uh, Sir Alex Ferguson on the phone, and uh, <laughs> and I was a little, I didn't know what to say, and he was like, you know, we've obviously been following, and you you've impressed us while you were here, you know, we would like to, you know, see if we can work something out, and I actually said, no, I'm, I'm I'm really sorry, but uh, you know, I've signed, you know, I've I've just signed for Sunderland, and. Uh, and he actually, you know, he was very positive and he said, actually, I think that's, that's really good for you. I think that that would be a great path and you'd get games and it would be great for your development. And, um, and then, you know, we, we said goodbye. And uh, yeah, so, so it's, you know, funny stories and, and things happen. But, uh, you know, looking back, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd never regret the, the decision. It was exactly the right decision for me and the right place to go. I love how you've, you've almost debunked like two massive myths there that, Technically, you've just said Sunderland are a bigger club than Manchester United. I'm going to take it as, as Sunderland are the biggest club in England, you've said there. And uh, se- second of all, Tony Coton's our current scout. And he does get criticism, rightly, wrongly, whichever way you look at it, for players yeah. that he brings in. But I can he can now claim that he he found Thomas Sorensen. So there you go, saving grace. You, you've debunked two myths in one go. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he was obviously the goalkeeping coach, uh just as I signed because he was in some legal battle and, and he ended up having to, to leave. Um, yeah. I think, I think he went to Manchester City. after that, his, but, uh, his leg break. Yeah, he was there for the first couple of months. <clears throat> yeah, there was some insurance uh, issues and stuff. Um, Something, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, but, but yeah, great character. And yeah, he was the one that, uh, I think he signed off on me. Uh, I don't know if he was the one that sort of found me, but he, he definitely went and had a look and, and I think he he must have gone back and and uh, and said, yeah, I'm good with that, and uh, he looks good, and uh, I'm ready, you know, uh, uh, for sure. So uh, he he played a big part, I think. When we're looking at uh, the manager at the time, obviously Peter Reid, probably the best manager of, of of my generation, and probably one of the best managers of of many. Um, but what was he like when you met him? Like, what did he say to you? Obviously, he wanted to give you a chance, but what was his character like when you met him? Did you get kind of bought in by that as well? Yeah, no, I I was just uh, brought in by his uh, obviously his passion and, and his honesty. I think he he was fairly straightforward all the way through with with all the players. Um, you know, if he stepped out of the line, 
you know, yeah, you'd get punished. Uh, but and and but and he was also fair. You know, I think uh, you know, looking at you, you go through your career, you look at managers, and <clears throat> uh, you know, you, you just want a fair treatment uh, or a fair message or a direct message. You know, where where do I stand? Why am I not playing? Why am I playing? You know, uh, and 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 he was, you know, he was brilliant at that, and uh, very verbal at, at times. And and I had, to, I must say, the first, uh, you know, coming from a, you know, a, the Danish system, which is which is very sort of strict and, uh, yeah, sort of by the book. And then you, you get in there, and, and the swear words fly like it's, uh, you know, that that was a big uh, big. Uh, turn around for me for sure and, and an eye opener but uh, but yeah no, I just love the passion I, I, you know the the, the, the the things that he brought and uh, you know the from his playing career and uh, uh, and, and he was all about the hard work you know if, if you if you ran through the wall for him he would do the same for you and um, uh, yeah I, I totally respected that and uh, you know still do to this day and he, he's he was always great to to me, and and I'm sure a lot of the, the other players would, would would say the same. That uh, you know, we had a great time there. Looking at your first month at Sunland, I remember it really, really well because it was like my prime time of like loving football. And coincidentally, it was probably the, the time we were actually best at it as well. Um, one one uh, one one nil, drew one 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 five nil, one four one, one two nil, including a game against Ipswich, which was the two nil. Um, the team started really well. I think so did you as well. I think to my memory, a, a few people were a little bit nervous about crosses because of Perez the year previously with the playoff. And then they could see that you could catch a cross, which was <laughs> a, a, definitely a benefit. Um, and I think what's maybe underplayed is the fact that that team was full of like British players that were experienced yeah. and had played for a long, long time. And in the future, a lot of people said, you know, there's too many foreign players came in and they kind of broke up the spirit of the team. And we will get to that. But I think what a lot of people don't remember is the fact that you were 21, you came over, you didn't just start well, you broke a clean sheet record and you just fitted into the team like you'd always been there. How did you settle so quickly? You know, very honest. I think Danish people, uh, you know, we're we're good at fitting in. Um, I think we've always been used to adapting to, you know, wherever we go traveling. Um, uh, You know, so so I think it's just a a natural thing, and the the work ethic is is in general pretty good. Um, And and that that was the things that I brought. And 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 again, I I sort of came in a in a well-oiled engine room where you know. Most people had, had been there for for a fair few years. Everyone there was a good uh, some good banter in the dressing room. Not that I really understood any of it uh, the first couple of months, but uh, I was just laughing when everyone else was laughing. But uh, you know, so, so so it was it was an easy environment to fit in. And, and then you know, going back to Peter Reed, uh, you know, easy to uh, you know to for him, you know, his support and, and the staff support. So I think when, whenever you, you talk about it, I think it's, it's all about mentality. Uh, you know, what sort of mentality do you turn off? I don't think it really has anything to do with where you come from. If, if you're willing to sort of embrace and, uh, and, and take the challenge on and, and, and fit in, then, um, you know, then I don't think it's a problem. But the problem is, is if people come with different agendas and uh, everyone is not on the same page, and I think that's where... And that's what I've seen. That that's when things start to to sort of crack. Is is when people 
sort of start uh, going in different directions, um, especially when things are not going well. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much the past sort of 10 years of Sunderland there. I think you've just summed up pretty well. Um, obviously, when it comes to the squad and the side, we've talked about characters. I mean, you could spend hours listing the characters in that team. Did they help you sort of integrate as well? Did they make sure you were looked after and you always had someone to kind of socialise with? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and and looking back, you know, I think that's a positive. I, I don't really remember any issues. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember Borley, uh, actually, I joined uh, at the same time. I think uh, Paul Butler, um, ooh, was, there was, oof, there was one or two others, and we were sort of in the same hotel. So, so we, uh, you know, obviously that, that gives you a little bit of support, uh, somebody who's in the same boat. Um, but yeah, in general, it, it was just easy to, to, to fit in, and, and, and there were so, so many social gatherings um that um you know that, that that team spirit and that core and that uh, culture was there um, so 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 yeah so you know i didn't really have a choice really <laughs> if you can look at it that way but but it was a positive one because you, you just uh, jump on the train and uh sit down and then off you go it's funny i've spoken in a, a few podcasts now with players who played in that season and in that era and discussed them obviously alex ray who's someone I I will always, I love Alex Ray as a player, as a person, as a man, as a comedian. Um, and obviously he had, I think, six weeks away when he had to go to the Priory and stuff like that. And it's funny because a lot of these podcasts with Summerby and, and Lee Clark would talk about how there was a, a, a drinking culture, society, uh, like a almost like a social group. But when you look at the thing that happened towards Alex Ray and everyone I've spoke to talks about how much he was supported and how... They made a laugh about it, but they made sure you had an arm around him at the same time. I think it speaks volumes about that. It wasn't just a drinking culture. It wasn't just going out and getting drunk and having fun. It was just, that was just part of being together and backing each other up, wasn't it? That's why that dressing room seemed to be so strong because you were there for each other. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, again, I don't know if it's, you know, you can call it a drinking culture, but yeah, there, there was, you know, there was definitely, uh, like I said before, uh, you know, trips to the pub and uh uh but but it was never something that got in the way of 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 training or anything um and i didn't actually know about alex's uh problems until sort of maybe sort of five six months into my uh my season uh and found out obviously that uh because he, he wasn't he wasn't drinking and he was very sort of uh, uh and I, I you know again i you know whenever we went out uh you know, he stayed off it, uh, and, and which was fair enough. But then, you know, I heard about the issues and, and, uh, but he had full support. Everyone, uh, was, was behind it. And, uh, you know, the, yeah, like you said, that was just the, the, the culture, the, the, you know, that everyone, uh, even the, you know, the, the players that, that wasn't playing, that there was only playing minor roles. Everyone accepted their role. If you were the star, if you were Kevin Phillips, Al Quinn, or if you were, you know, Paul Thurwell, or if you were, you know, someone who, who was on the outside, uh, even Michael Bridges, who, who wasn't, you know, playing all the time, uh, you know, he accepted the role. Um, and I think that's so important that everyone works for, for the greater cause. Um, and and uh, for sure, everyone did that. Now, that's also a credit to, to obviously the coaching staff and Bobby Saxton as well, uh, you know, the, the, the people around the team that, um, that created that. Have you ever met anyone as uh, 
Have you ever met anyone like Bobby Saxton? Yeah, no, it, it was, you know, it, it was funny really because you, you sort of had that uh, chemistry between him and, and, and Peter Reid. And, you know, obviously Bobby was, was you know, the tactical uh, brains of, of, the, of, the, of the mission. And uh, Peter Reid was sort of more the, the motivator, the, you know, the, obviously the, uh, the, the head of the, the captain of the ship. And, uh, and, and I think that chemistry that they have, because they were, they were very different. Um, you know, I think that that worked really well. It was sort of a, sometimes a good pop, good cop, bad cop, and they could sort of play on uh, play on that. And um, uh, and, and yeah, really, he wasn't much of a tactician. It was more about you know hard work and just get out there and uh, you know hard work and tackle and 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 uh, Bobby was was uh, more the like the, the tactical mind and, and getting the game plan together and making sure that. That people did their jobs tactically, and so you so say, yeah. I think as a as a team, they they work tremendously well together. I was reading, obviously, like I say yesterday, through your entire career, and obviously it was long, it was illustrious, and there's loads of like there's world, there's numerous World Cups in there, European Championships, FA Cup Finals, which we'll get to, and things like that. But how highly does nights like um, Berry and Barnsley sort of rank in your career highlights, even though it came really, really early doors? Yeah, but no, they were, they were obviously hugely, hugely important in Barry, where where we clinched promotion, and then uh, at Oakwell, when where we uh, where we won the championship. I think that I think that was it was a, it was a, just an amazing year, and it was a fairy tale for me because uh, you know again I, I didn't really know what I was getting into uh, and how how it would fare, and uh, and there was a fair bit of pressure on the team, obviously with with just missing out on the promotion, so. Uh, you know, it was a huge relief for everyone, um, and everything just went, you know, by the book that that year. And uh, uh, you know, just the culmination. You know, I think, uh, you know, one of the, the the best moments, best memories I have is is after we won and we had the open bus tour through Sunderland, and uh, and the amount of people that are on the streets. And you know, I think I think one of the things that's sticking on mind. We were going through this uh, elderly home. Uh, and and all of them with you know had flags in their windows were you know I don't know how they had gone got to the window but uh, you know some of the, some of the, you know every it just sums it summed it up for me just seeing that you know like you see the these you know uh, people how much it meant to them and obviously all the kids and you know you can understand but but that that was sort of summed up you know the passion in the northeast for me really and. Uh, yeah, that, that was a, an amazing day, and being able to to share that with my family and uh, you know my my wife and uh, you know parents and stuff. Uh, yes, definitely one of the highlights for sure. Of, of you know even takeaway World Cups and uh, you know those things are, are pretty special. When you obviously won it, you had the open top bus too and things like that. So when you win the championship and you know, right, I've got two or three months off here to kind of like I'm going to have just one night to celebrate it. Did you all go out and get a bit drunk that night? Uh, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that I can't really remember. No, but I remember a, a, a story because we we had a, a red and white ball sort of to celebrate it, and um, uh, we, yeah, we had some drinks that night, and and we had sort of this uh, we we had to either have a like some red and white uh, a suit or. Or something on, and and uh, after after good night, uh, I was driving home uh, in a taxi, and and we uh, 
we sort of outside, so sort of fair few. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the direction is, uh, but but at least uh, ten kilometers outside of, of Sunderland on the way back home. To I live near Durham, and uh, we see this red thing walking at the side of the street, and, and we ended up uh, sure who was that, and we stopped the car, and it was Bawley. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had decided to to walk back from the from the function, and uh, obviously. I don't know how he, he he could he could walk, but uh, yeah. So he had a good night, and I don't know if he had a bit of a, a fallout with the missus or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, uh, that, that summed up the captain, you know. So he decided to 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 walk probably about fifteen kilometers uh, after a night out, which is uh, something not really. Get a bit of exercise in there. Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, as it was, sort of moving away from Sunderland a little bit, um, around that time you sort of made your Denmark debut. I think you'd been in a few squads. Um, but the way you made your debut was was different to maybe some goalkeepers do because sometimes if you're going to play your debut, it'll be in like a friendly game from the start. You'll be told beforehand. But you came on because Peter Schmeichel was injured. So one minute you're sitting on the bench thinking maybe, you know, similar to the last time I'll be on the bench and maybe get on in a, another game. He gets injured and then all of a sudden you're like thrust into it and that's it. You're making your, your Denmark debut. So to me, that seems a little different to what maybe most goalkeepers or a lot of players have as a debut that they play from the start, they play the 90 minutes and then they kind of battle with the number one goalkeeper who it was at the time. But you get thrust into the action out of nowhere, probably not even expecting it. What goes through your head when you think like, oh crap, Schmeichel's injured, here we go. I'm, I'm up. Yeah, but there's actually a little bit of a forced story to that because we, it was it was the uh, playoff uh, for the I think it was the European Championship. Uh, so so yeah, so it was pretty big games, uh, and we were playing Israel, and we, and we we played the first leg was in Israel, and and um, and Michael actually had back problems uh, mm-hmm. before, before that game. And and the, it was sort of touch and go if if he uh, if he could play and uh, I remember uh, <laughs> you know I definitely had in sleep, sleepless nights uh, thinking about you know the amount of pressure you know in those games because they were huge uh, and uh, you know he managed to play the first game uh, and we had a great result so we won I think five nil uh, in in Israel so uh, I, I knew there was a there was a chance again in the second leg, and and so I was sort of a little bit better prepared. And obviously the pressure wasn't as as great as it was in the first first leg. Um, and uh, fairly early in the game, maybe after 15 minutes, he uh, he pulled out, um, and and uh, and I obviously came on and to 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 great applause and you know a huge moment. You know it, it was probably an even better moment because you you get subbed on. Um, and again, people in Denmark knew that, you know, Schmeichel, you know, he wouldn't be playing forever and, and I was sort of the next one. So they gave me a great reception and, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's, you know, gave me goosebumps and we won three nil in the second leg and, and obviously qualified. So, so it's a, it was a perfect debut, um, you know, uh, in Denmark in front of, uh, 45,000. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Nervous. Um, but uh, uh, I managed to get through it, uh, and uh, I had a few, fair few games after that. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, one or two. Yeah, but a childhood dream, you know. It's something that you, you know, as a child, you, you you know, it's so far out in the, and it's something you dream of. But you never sort of, you never sort of think that it's going to be any reality, and uh, that you could, 
one day be on the TV screen like like some of the, the players you've seen in the past and, and then suddenly you're there. It, it's quite surreal. Uh, and you're playing with, you know, with, with some of your heroes and, um, yeah, they, that, was, that was a big moment uh, for sure. Then you come back to Sunderland. Obviously, we've just won promotion, record points. You've made your Den- uh, deb- uh, debut for Denmark even. Um, everything's sunny and rosy in the garden and you think, fantastic, can't wait to get back into the, the premiership as it was called then. And you play against Chelsea, wonderfully sunny day and we get hammered, absolutely hammered from minute one. To, and then if Chris Sutton could have scored that day, we would have probably lost about 8-0. But how important was that game for the club as a whole, for us to lose it that heavily and be dominated that much? Was it almost beneficial that that happened? Uh, I think it was. I I remember it very, very clearly because I think we went into that game, uh, you know, probably a little bit overconfident. Uh, You know, like, you know, we we had such a great year. We got some good players. We have this great team and, uh, you know, throw anyone in front of us. Uh, you know, we we can we can win, and uh, we definitely got a wake up call. It was it was. I remember sitting in the dressing room afterwards and just looking around, and you can just see everyone was dazed. Everyone was, uh, you know, had a serious uh, drink from the reality check uh, bottle for sure. And uh, and and again, looking back at it, you know, it, it it was a tough lesson, and it wasn't a great day, and and. Was horrible, but uh, I think it, it just got our feedback so solidly planted on the ground and, and and got our focus back a little bit. Uh, actually, this this is not the championship anymore. This is this is a different league. This is a different league of players, and uh, and and we need to step it up. And uh, I think we won against Watford. Was it Watford the second game? Yeah. Uh, so so that was hugely important. Obviously, first home game. Um, you know, Watford again, one of the, the teams that on paper you have to beat, uh, and 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 we did. And then from then on, I think we just grew into the season. Um, so we had that wake up call, and uh, and thank God we responded. I think, and, and that's where you know a, a good team comes in. You know, when you got the culture, you, you you respond in the right way. There wasn't any faction. There wasn't anyone pointing fingers. Um, Everyone just uh, got back to work and and rolled their sleeves up, and um, I think that was that was crucial, um, you know, to 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 then the resurgence we had after that. I remember that that, that game is funny. You're right in what you say. It, it really felt like that was a reality check, and we just went on and on and on, and it was almost really beneficial that it happened. But I actually remember in that game that that spelt your name wrong on the back of the shirt as well. It spelt it like completely incorrectly. It was Sorensen instead of Sorensen, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That that that's right. Uh, but I don't I don't want to blame that on on the performance. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Again. Uh, you know those things. I, 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 you know, that it doesn't really bother me that much. I'm not that. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure that, that I don't know who did it, but I'm sure they did it with a good intention. I don't think they tried <laughs> to. Uh, and and I, I, I must say it, that S O N has been uh, spelled like that plenty of times since. So uh, uh, I think they're confused because everything in Norway, Sweden is S O N, where in Denmark is S E N. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a. The Scandinavian, so um, that's a, a small detail. Just one of one of those uh, things I remember from being a child, being like, "They spelled his name wrong." Oh, we're getting beat four 0 Brilliant. Um, <laughs> when you look at like the time, you know that period of time at Sunderland, um, 
one thing I probably didn't realize as much myself until I've looked back over the past few weeks when I've been sort of trying to remind myself and, and rejig my memory of those days, our home form was huge. Like nobody really beat us at home. And I mean, it very rarely happened. I think three defeats or something like that. Um, you played for both Sunland and Stoke during a time. And I know obviously we're going to go further on to Stoke, but when you're at Stoke, I think I felt like going to Stoke away from home at that time when you were there was very similar to how clubs must have felt coming to Sunland during that time. I felt like the the fans were like a 12th man. It was noisy. It was loud. It was like almost invincible. Were the atmospheres at Stoke when you first few years under Pulis and the first few years in the Premiership with Sunland, were they really quite similar and how much did that help? Yeah, I, I um I would say I, I would say they they were. Um, you know, it's you know, it's just you know, very, very both very, very passionate uh fan bases, uh from, from a similar background. Uh you know, it's it's all sort of uh, industrial um times and, and, and um so so everyone has a, a similar background and uh, and and the the club plays a huge part in the community, and 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 you could sense that whenever whenever we played um, at at Sunderland or 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 at Stoke, you know, every, every like we did whatever we could to put our body on the line, but so did every fan as well. You know, people were not there, you know, just to like Roy Keane would have said, eat their prawn sandwiches, and uh, you know, pe- people were there, you know, wholeheartedly to support the team and willing the team to to win and. And and you could sense that as a player, you know that, that that's the greatest feeling when you have that, and and it it really makes a huge difference. Uh, uh, you, you know that, that it's yeah, it's, it's hard to describe how it, it feels to to play on the pitch, but 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 to me it was it was just always a, a great honor, like really, um, and uh, always did what I could to 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 sort of. You know, give the respect back to the fans. Uh, you know, for 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 taking their time, spending their money, and uh, you know, supporting because you know, you know, with, without that, and when we sense that now, now we we've, we've got the virus, we we've, we've had a few sporting events with with, with no fans. That is, that that that's not sport. Like sport is 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 yeah, it's the game, but it's also the atmosphere. It's the it's the spectacle, and and the fans play for me play. Maybe the most important part of it uh, uh, to elevate it to to an, uh, you know to a, to the right level, uh, and and for sure uh, it still gives me goosebumps when I think of running around like running out uh, at the Stadium of Light and uh, you know those times for sure um, they were magical. Before we go into your defining moment, which I'm sure everyone remembers quite well, uh, there was a particular derby game, your first derby game that you got involved in. Now, derby games are always big, let's be honest, for want of a better word. But could your introduction to the Northeast derby have been any more bizarre than a torrential downpour, Kevin Ball nearly scoring a 45-yard <laughs> own goal, and <laughs> just the way that, that Shearer being dropped, Hullet being sacked a day later, like... Could it have been more bizarre? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, it was. It was a. It was just a strange night. I remember we, we didn't start particularly well, uh, and we we went one nil down with the and Dyer score. Or, yeah, Kieran Dyer scored. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we we went one nil down and really didn't 
play that great and uh, yeah and then the, the rain came and then in the second half uh, Quinny scored a great header uh, Kim Phillips then scored a, where he sort of turns and uh, is that not the, the no that's the game I'm just yeah, I'm, just remini- yeah. I'm shaking my head and reminiscing and <laughs> okay. remember those days I thought, I, I thought it was, uh, you got that totally wrong no you got uh, it so, so right yeah, so right yeah yeah. Uh, so um, and then yeah for me the, the moment that sticks out you already mentioned it but that's, that's where you know because you know all the puddles were starting to build up over the pitch and I also had a couple where you know, uh, the ball I thought was running into the box, but stopped just outside the box. And it, 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 it you know, it's it's not great when when things become coincident, when when things are sort of out of your hands. Yeah, one thing is you can make a mistake, but at least it, you know it, it came on the you know <laughs> on the under the the right circumstances. But when when unexpected things start to happen, and then. I think Bowley went in for a tackle and and, and uh, it stopped in a puddle and and yeah he, he he hit the ball before the tackle and and it sailed I just remember it just sailed over me and I just I didn't know what to do my heart stopped and uh, and then it bounced back off the crossbar it's just it was just one of those things uh, it, it you know again it just makes the game even better looking back at it you know all those things that happened the weather and and that happening and the great goals and and the drama and uh, yeah, great introduction to, to the derby um, uh, and it had everything. I love how when you watch the replay of that happening, obviously everyone's absolutely shit themselves over red and white persuasion and just going <laughs> bloody hell. But then the panster, Kevin Ball, as you do, and he's got grass all the way down the side of his face and he's actually barking orders about how to like defend the corner. It's just, it's totally seemingly gone over his head. Obviously I've spoke to him since about it and he said like, you know, as I put the boot in, it's like I just seen it and I was like, oh no, please. And he, but he, he said he thought you had it covered. I don't know if I agree with him. But. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had anything covered. Uh, but uh, you know, let, let, let's just uh, let's just say that for the for the fun. <laughs> with uh, derby games as it was, um, obviously we finished seventh. Frustratingly, could have probably gone to Europe, and and the same thing happened again the next year. But I don't like the don't like the labor on too many negatives. Um, your defining moment at Sunderland. It's we, it, ha- it is it's one of the most defining moments of your career um, that penalty save have you ever had to buy a drink in Sunderland since you've made that save <laughs> uh, you know not that I've, I've sort of uh, you know uh, asked for for, for, for for free drinks but yeah no I, <laughs> I remember the, 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 the story that where it probably sort of sank in uh, we we went uh, so we had driven from uh, the Seaburn Hotel or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we we stayed there and, and we um, we we drove back on the bus, obviously, and and uh, we, a few. I went down with a goalkeeping coach and a few others. We went down to a pub around the corner and, and uh, just sat down and, and had a had a beer. And, uh, I left uh, and actually the day after, I was told that uh, somebody had offered to buy. Uh, the chair that I've been sitting in for 500, uh, 500 pounds. <laughs> uh, you know, that sort of, uh, that, that, I think that was the, the moment where, you know, it probably is like, what the hell, it, it's really significant to some people. Uh, you know, if, you know, it's hard when you're in it and even when it happens in the game, you know, you're so focused. And I think you'll also see on the video, uh, as soon as I, I'm saved, I saved the penalty, I'm, I'm, I'm already sort of, no, let's focus on the corner. Let's focus on the next. And um, 
so you have that mentality and afterwards you're obviously happy it's a huge game and you win and but but I, I didn't really think about my role and other than yeah I was you know obviously I was happy but not the the sort of the extra significant of of obviously it being Alan Shearer and when it happened and and all those things uh, but that quickly uh, <laughs> I quickly got reminded and uh, you know it's, it's obviously you know for 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 and and that's the funny thing about football you know you you can you can be remembered for for you know for for for, for just one one thing or or, for, or 10 seconds can make you uh you know into a a, a legend or whatever and uh yeah it was just one of those moments uh, i had a you know obviously a huge uh respect for shira and you know he was great at penalties and uh and he had a he, 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 he normally went to the keeper's right, uh, sort of high. Uh, that was his sort of trademark penalty. And uh, oh, penalty taker, as much as it kills me to say, normally. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and and my strategy, with, you know, going into it was a little bit, uh, obviously, the significance of the game. Uh, you know, when they got the penalty, you only got like a couple of minutes to think about it, but. It, you know, I sort of just had a, a feeling that he would, because he knew, uh, you know, that I knew what his <laughs> normal plan was uh, and the significance of the game that he would try to maybe outsmart himself. And um, and that was sort of, so I tried to, again, sort of double bluff him and, and uh, it worked. So, um, you know, so a, a little bit of strategy worked in that, in that situation. And um, yeah. Um, it's it's all history now. The best part about that is the match of the day uh, highlights. It kind of after you've saved it and after the corner's gone out, it does like slow motion highlights of the the Newcastle fans. I think it's slow motion highlights, like after the penalty, the Newcastle fans and all like stand there and they're going, "Come on, Alan! Come on! Come on!" And then like <laughs> slowly see them going, "Oh!" And it's just like brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Just, <laughs> Like I, 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 I can't deny everyone knows how red and white I am. And obviously, you know, as professionals, I'm trying to be here at the same time as a Sunderland fan. Seeing your rivals hurt that way is it's pretty special. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> come the end of that particular season, um, I think it's when things started to fall apart a little bit. Did you start to feel yourself that things were going a bit wrong at that point? Or were you kind of unaware that they would go as badly as they did at that point? Uh, um I'm not sure, sure if it was that season. Um, it probably was when when uh, they sold Dan Hutchinson as well. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. it was. And I, I, to me, that was you know he had uh, been one of our, our best players the, the season before. He, he, I think he scored uh, seven or eight goals. I think um, he scored more. I think he scored about twelve actually. I think he was in double. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. Uh, and and that was sort of a, a little bit of. A, I think when when he gone like when he went uh, did he go to West Ham or something or for like four million pounds yeah or uh, you know I think that that's where it's sort of oh what, what what's going on here you know what why are we selling our best players why are we you know why are we not keeping the team together um, and um, you know and 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 you know you sort of start to get a sense of people seeing that they you know are thinking that the grass is greener on the other side uh you know that so you know you 
and I've seen it, it, it the same thing that happened at Stoke really as well. You know, you, 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 you're trying to change. And I think Peter Reed was in that same situation where the, the, the pressure starts to build, you know, you've been seventh, seventh, then what do you do? Do you, do you just settle for that and say, if we can be seventh for the next 10 years, we're great. Or, or do you then try to push, uh, say, okay, we need to invest. We need to, 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 at least on paper, we need to get better players. Uh, you know, a lot of money was spent on Tory under flow. Um, and, uh, it just didn't work. I, it, it, again, you know, you can look at it and, and some of the players just didn't fit in. It, it wasn't the right players for, for the club. Uh, you know, you, you're trying to play, replace, uh, you know, last land, Lillian last land was brought in. Uh, you know, just so many players, and then uh, Milton Nunez, uh, oh, <laughs> legend, love, love legend, <laughs> absolute lovely, lovely bloke, but my favourite ever, Sunderland striker. I must say, I, I don't think there was a few of us that couldn't believe when he turned up at the training ground. He was like, he was like one fifty, and I was like, what? Who's this guy? Oh yeah, but he's you know he's the next big thing from Honduras and blah blah blah. And, uh, nah, he was anything but big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, there's just a, a lot of things um, happening, and 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 uh, you know, going back to the culture thing, I think that's you know when that culture starts to break, and and you know, significant like Bowley, yeah, you say Quinny, you know, you, you get big players in a dressing room leaving, uh, and the players that come in, you know. Are not quite on the same page, or doesn't fit in, or that's that's when it 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 it, it gets really 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 tough. Um, and and I just think that the the recruitment the, they didn't get it right. Um, and then when it sort of start to to sort of spiral a spiral in in the wrong direction, then um, you know it turns into a little bit of a panic, and and you're just uh, trying to to sign players left, right, and center, and, and it doesn't really. Uh, yeah, we never got it right after that, for sure. Um, and, and that was sad, really. It was sad to see because we, we had a good team. And we could have been good, I think, as well for, for, for more years than we were. It was. It felt like a lot, a lot of players went a bit early, didn't it? Like Megan Gray, Summerby, Alex Ray. There's loads of players you could pick from that team that went on to continue to have good careers as well. Like making it a switch went into Europe. Um, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. N- Nicky Summerby probably didn't, but I think, and he was quite open about it. I think he was a bit shell shocked about what happened at Sunderland. But um, as it was from a, a personal perspective, around that time, as much as Sunderland was struggling, uh, by that point, you'd also became Denmark's first choice goalkeeper. Um, major tournament at the same time, World Cup 2002. Which was a really good tournament for for Denmark. I think it was the quarterfinal. I think it was England. Was it England that you that knocked you out? Sadly, sorry, Sadly. sorry, sorry about that. Um, but what are your memories <laughs> of that tournament? Because it was it was a good tournament for you uh, as Denmark, and obviously your first big international tournament um, as a first choice. Yeah, it was great up until the England game. Uh, <laughs> then it went then it went a little bit pear shaped. But uh, no, yeah, it was huge. Um, you know, going to a World Cup uh, in Japan and Korea. Uh, huge experience off the pitch. Uh, Japanese people were absolutely crazy. They didn't know who we were, but they uh, they just loved to support. Uh, <laughs> they were just screaming Denmark. And like I remember, we were going to training. We had two thousand people there. You know, they were just going crazy, like we were rock stars. And I don't think they had a clue of who we were. But 
uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. We had a great tournament up until the England game, obviously beating probably the highlight, beating France, uh, knocking the France out of, of the World Cup. Uh, you know, they had a fantastic team at that time, and and uh, and I I had a really good tournament um, up until up until the last game, um, and um, yeah, again similar team, like really. Well knit team uh, with a lot of players that played in in the Premier League. Uh, Steve Tufting, uh, Graveson, Klaus Jensen, uh, Yondal Thomason, who was obviously at Newcastle back in the day. Uh, so so there there was just uh, and and a lot of the players we had been together in the under twenty one team. So yeah, so it was a it was a great time on and off the pitch. Um, yeah, and then we will uh, forget about the England game and, and uh, move on <laughs> because uh, that that was a bit of a, a nightmare uh, for all of us and and for myself. Uh, it was a bit of a uh, yeah uh, a sad end to a, a great tournament for all of us. If I remember rightly, it was probably one of the best England played as well at the same time. Though coincidentally, if you had played badly for that tournament for that particular game, we actually played really really well. And and that was a, that was a, on paper that was a blum and good England side. I think it was. Rio Owen, like peak Michael Owen, uh, yeah, Beckham, yeah, Beckham Scholes, yeah, 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 Neville's, Neville, yeah, all of them, uh, yeah, it was a, a, a yeah, a, a very good team, uh, but yes, you know, from our perspective, we just didn't hit the day, and uh, I made a mistake for 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 the first goal, and uh, I think we were uh, probably going back a little bit to you know some of the things we, we talked. I think you know a little bit like the. Uh, the, the Chelsea game, I think looking back and, and, and that's how I remember it uh, uh, from my perspective, I, I was just totally uh, over uh, overconfident, overgeared for the game. Uh, obviously playing in England, you know, wanting to show everyone uh, and then you just make some rash decisions and, and uh, I learned, a, 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 you know, it was a big lesson <laughs> on that day because, uh, you know, you know, you, you you learn, you know, and that, that's some of the things I've taken from that thing is, is you know, you just got to do your job. Like you got to do what you have to do and, um, and you can't get carried away or, or, or start to preempt things. You, you just have to, to play the game. And uh, uh, I think a lot of us on that day uh, thought we, 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 we had to show everyone and uh, we, we, we got showed a lesson. As it was, you came back to to Sunderland. I think it was around that time when when Reedy had gone. Obviously, spent a lot of money as we talk about on floor. Um, I think Marcus Stewart came in. He ended up having a, a great time at Sunderland, truth be told. But I think he got brought in as like the backup for Phillips at that point. Obviously, he didn't come to fruition until Phillips went. But there was a, a six month period where you spent it under Howard Wilkinson. Now, everyone's heard the stories about how absolutely bizarre he was. But the thing with the thing with Howard was. I remember the thing that was really odd. I remember thinking or being told we didn't have that much money. Like we, we'd spent so much in the summer and it was by that point, the tra- the transfer window came in. Um, I remember you were injured and Jürgen Machod came in and had a, a fantastic six or seven games and just had the spell of his career. You were due to come back from injury. We didn't have very much money. And then he spent 2.5 million pounds on Mark Poom, who, yeah, went on to do well, but we didn't need three good goalkeepers at the same time. We needed probably a lot more in other positions <laughs> on the field. But how was your six month under Howard Wilkinson? Because I've heard Stefan Schwartz say he was quite used to that sort of coaching at that point. 
but it wasn't it, for that dressing room. It was just a bit weird, wasn't it? How was how was your experience? Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, part of it, you know, I was injured. Uh, I, mean, I think it was uh, I dislocated my elbow. I think. Uh, so I was out for three months, and uh, yeah, and then I was sadly, really, really got sacked, um, as it is in football when results are not going well, and uh, and and yeah, how it was different. I think that that was the main thing. You know, he, he was, uh, he just had different ideas. Uh, I think he did a lot of interesting things with. And you know the psychology aspect. You know he he was huge on that. Uh, you know to to you know, to some extent really weird. Uh, I remember bringing the, the the whole team in and and putting this video on with with some geese flying. And he you know he was <laughs> he was telling everyone that you know how the geese uh, help each other. And uh, you know uh, and and I I think. It's just one of them. I think he found it hard. I think he lost a few people in the dressing room. Uh, it was a bit too weird. Um, and, and I have a, I had a personal uh, experience where, and it was just about that time where, where again I was coming back from injury and and uh, they signed Poom and uh, and I went into his office. Uh, he called me into his office and and he talked for about ten fifteen minutes. And and I came out of the meeting, and I I didn't really know what he meant. So was he actually saying that he's going to give me a chance, or that he believes in me, or was he trying to sort of fire me up? Or he he was talking in riddles. He was a, he was a very funny character, very sort of uh, into detail, and and I think I, I think he found it a bit hard. And a lot of people found it hard with the change from Peter Reed, who was very straightforward uh, in your face, and and uh, and here it was it was just hard to sort of interpret sometimes what he meant and where he was going and you know what he wanted people to do. Uh, but he, he he did it, you know, all in a in a you know obviously he's, he, you know out of you know the best of his intentions and everything else. But it just didn't work. Uh, a lot of good ideas, but it just didn't really. The chemistry wasn't right. Uh, as I remember it, and uh, and they they went to Mick McCarthy then a few few months later, and and I think he suited the club more, uh, and, and suited the player the players as well uh, a bit more than than Howard was. But uh, you know, a great man. I, I, I had no issues with with Howard Wilkinson, um, but uh, yeah, his coach. It was a bit. It was a bit uh, cryptic in his his, in his his coaching. And and really very much wasn't cryptic at all, was he? Um, he, no, was, <laughs> he was the polar opposite. You didn't get a clear message. You, you didn't know what he wanted, where where you sort of fitted in the the, the grand scheme of things, uh, and that can be frustrating, if, especially if you're on the outside of a team. You want to know, okay, at the moment you're not good enough. This is the things you need to work on. This is the guy you need to be better at, uh, th- better than. Uh, you don't want to sit there and think you're doing a good job, but uh, you're not getting the right message. And 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 I think I think a lot of players uh, had that uh, sort of uh, feeling with 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 Howard that uh, they didn't quite know where they stood. You're right, totally right in what you're saying. That Mick McCarthy was a personality for Sunderland. Um, absolutely, very much, probably even more honest from from what I've been told than than Reedy was. But obviously, Mark Poom was in the team at that point. Or signed, I think Macho had got an injury and you'd came back. So then it became 
Macho and Poom and then became you and Poom. And I think you'd played most of the games up until Birmingham away, uh, which was the game where we got relegated and Mark Poom was put in there. And I think it was only mathematical that we got relegated. I think we knew for a long, long time because of how poor the season had gone. Um, but Mick McCarthy had begun to not drop you, but play Mark Poom, I think, with the season ahead in advance. And then he played you against Newcastle because he knew how much that meant to the fans. So he played the first team. I think he brought like Belly on in, yourself in. He, he basically changed the team to all the better players that probably weren't going to be there. Um, what kind of conversation did you have surrounding that? No, I ended up playing a, a few games at the end of the season. I also played, uh, I think it was the last game against Arsenal uh, at the Stadium of Light. Um, yeah, it, it's weird. Um, but again, you know, I... No, I you know, as direct as Peter Reed was, he was direct with me as well, and I, I respect him hugely. Uh, you know, he um, again laid it out for me. We had a conversation about, you know, and and he had a conversation with with a lot of players because there was some financial struggle uh, at Sunderland, so uh, you know there was some pay cuts, um, and then we we. Um, you know, we, we came to also football ambitions and, and I had a meeting with him and, and we were honest with each other. And, and I said, you know, as much as I love Sunderland as well, if, you know, if there is a, an opportunity for me to, to play at the highest level, uh, you know, again, protecting my international uh, as, as hard as it will be, then, you know, I, I would have to look in, in that direction. And, and he respected it. And I, you know, again, I didn't, I wanted to be honest with him. And I think, you know, so I understood where he was coming from when when I wasn't playing. You know, he was looking to the to, to next season and uh, looking. Uh, but then at the same time, he still respected me the other way, and and he gave me some games. And uh, uh, and so I've I've got no uh, bad feelings there. Uh, but it is it's difficult. You know, I, I I tried it at Stoke City as well, and you know when when you've been used to playing, and then suddenly. Uh, you, you know, you're not playing regularly and, and somebody else is, uh, for whatever reason, uh, is playing in front of you. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's weird. And, and we, it, because we had three keepers there, it was, I think there was, when was Thomas Myra there? Oh, was he, was there. The same? he was also there, yeah. Very good goalkeeper. <laughs> Very good goalkeeper. So, so you're looking at, you're, like, you're looking at four, so I don't know if Macho, he wasn't in the, he was maybe just touching the Austrian setup. So you actually ended up having Four international keepers, which is outrageous. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, we had a great Thomas Meyer was a funny character. Pumi was it was just a work machine. I, you know, he was uh, you know very dry, very sort of. Uh, he was you know he, you know I felt ashamed when I when I left at two o'clock because I knew he would be leaving at seven o'clock. Uh, you know, so uh, you know he, he, he you know so so it was different characters, but. But we all, everyone respected each other. Macho, I had a great relationship with him and he was a, a super guy. So, so even though we had four people competing, you know, there wasn't any issues really, uh, as I remember it. And uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it just it just went the way it went. Uh, I had the offer, obviously, from, from Aston Villa and, and um, I felt I had to, to sort of move on to protect my career. And um, uh, yeah, sadly. 
I was looking at the the Villa team that you joined because I was going to ask the question, what made you choose Aston Villa? Obviously, a really historic club as well, um, really well respected club. But that was a really good team when I look back. It was better than I actually remembered when you first went. You had Melberg, Gareth Barry, Peter Crouch. Um, aside from the the quality that was in there and your, and your choice of your career, what made you choose sort of Aston Villa? And was there anyone else that wanted you at that time as well? Um, yeah, there, there was there was a several teams um but again you you're looking at your options um obviously david o'leary was was manager and uh uh that peter enkelman uh the, the finish keeper um who, who had who had a bit of a, a a bad time and um so so they were looking for 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 a different option and and um you know so i knew playing time was was very very realistic so that that was a, a big priority, and then of course, as the Villa, even though they they were sort of mumbling in and around the mid table and and uh, sort of look, you know just below mid table, uh, you know still a big club, um, you know. Uh, so so I felt that that was the right thing, and and as you said, the the players were good. Dean Dublin was there as well uh, at, at the time. So so there was a really good a really good team. Ronnie Johnson, uh, yeah. So so for me, that that was a that was a good uh, good step and um yeah um yeah so yeah so it just it just went uh, over that summer suddenly it just came up and uh, it went fairly quickly with the team that you played in you were first choice for about four seasons um three of those seasons were under david o'leary now david o'leary did quite well i think he got sixth a couple of times but since he's left villa he's barely managed you played under him for quite a long time. Are you quite surprised that no one's, you know, tried to take him on board and, and maybe put him in as manager because he, he did quite a good job with Villa for quite like quite a while? Yeah, you know, again, obviously, uh, huge success at Leeds, uh, you know, earlier. Um, yeah, you know, we had some some good years, and I, I think he just ran into uh, Doc Ellis was the chairman. Uh, you know, that there was. Definitely in 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 the last season there were some issues with cost cutting. Uh, you know he he didn't feel he had the backing uh, financially from from the chairman, uh, and it sort of came to a head. I think in in the preseason uh, there were some some issues with uh, you know that Doug Ellis was cutting down on masseurs and cut, he wouldn't pay for water to to, to water the pitch. They, it, it sort of got into a a bit of a scrap uh, with him and, and the chairman and. Um, uh, yeah, and then it, it it came to a head, and and uh, and, and he got fired. Um, so 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 I think he he wasn't probably the uh, he didn't probably get the the, the fair fair shout, um, you know, w- with that. And um, you know, he was a tough one to deal with, Doc Ellis, at times. And it, you know, he uh, he ran a tight ship, and um, I think that that sort of uh, ended up costing uh, Daryl O'Leary the the job. As it was, the man that came in is probably one of the most renowned managers of the past sort of twenty so years for what he did with Celtic, what he did at Villa, what he did at Leicester. Didn't do very well at Sunderland, but that's just the way life goes when you're a Sunderland fan, I guess. Um, but you were number one under him in his first season, I think. But then, and obviously me not being a Villa fan, maybe I, I don't have the privy information, but sort of bizarrely, he seemed to like oust you from the team. I, I read an interview, and we're talking like when you were still playing and you were still, uh, I think you just joined Stoke at the time. And you said, 
you'd doubt that you'd ever speak to him again. Um, and I think it became known that what happened in that past year, whatever that may be, you didn't have the best of relationships. Uh, what are your memories of that time? And have you spoken to him sort of since you retired? Uh, you know, it, it's just one of the, you know, one of those things, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, and I, I don't really know what, 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 what went on. So, so we, we, um, I played that, that, is a 2008 2009 season i think uh, and we had a good season i felt and um I, i've never got to the bottom of it but uh, I, sort of, I didn't have the greatest relationship with the, with a goalkeeping coach uh he was a bit of a sort of a dictator and uh, you know I, I sort of knew what i needed and wanted and uh, and and you know to some extent he didn't really care uh, he just wanted me to do what he wanted uh, to do and we got along, but it wasn't sort of great. Uh, and then came came the following season. Um, I got injured in, in preseason. I got a hamstring injury, and and I was out for probably I was scheduled to be out for three weeks. Uh, and I, I would make the the start of the season, and then uh, suddenly out of the blue, uh, Scott Carson. They signed Scott Carson, um, and that sort of rang a bell because. Scott Carson, who was second choice at Liverpool, why would he come and be second choice at uh, Aston Villa yeah. unless something something had been said? Um, and uh, obviously, I got calls, phone calls from Denmark, from journalists, and what was going on, and um, uh, and and you know, I was just honest, saying you know, I don't really know what's going on. Um, nobody had talked to me, and and uh, I felt that I had a good season, and. Uh, it, you know, but obviously now things are sort of up in the air, and uh, and uh, yeah, and then I got called into to Martin O'Neill's office um, after that thing. So it it had it must have so it had run in Denmark, uh, and and the journalist. So the, it it happened at Sunderland as well. So the you know is it Graham at the Sunderland Echo and so Graham they Anderson. they interviewed yeah. Graham Anderson. Yeah. So when I had said something in Denmark, they would. You know, so they'll interchange stories and as it as it works. So, so in Denmark, had obviously spoken to uh, the local journalist in in Melbourne, so in in, uh, in Birmingham, uh, and uh, Martin Neal got a hold of uh, you know that that I wasn't happy with the decision of bringing in Carson, um, and he called me in and yeah, totally just destroyed me. Really, uh, I had no idea. I walked in and, and he you know he belittled me and uh, yeah, if I you know, if I had uh, thought that I played well, I should have a look at myself. And yeah, so there was just some things there and it totally just shook me. And, and uh, it, I, f I just found it hard to respect the man after that because I didn't feel I, I deserved that sort of treatment. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then as it turned out, uh, it, the following transfer window, he blocked, uh, he blocked the move. I had a chance to go to Tottenham. Uh, he blocked that move for no reason whatsoever, and then he offered me a loan deal at Leicester two weeks later, who was at the bottom of the championship at that time, uh, because that was his old club, but he could do them a favor. So just there was just some a lot of things that that where I felt disrespected, uh, and I didn't think I, you know, at least in my view, uh, and he had never said to me other than 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 I had spoken to the papers and and uh, uh, if I wasn't happy I should have spoken to him and I didn't really 
you know, I didn't really say uh, it wasn't sort of intentional. That I went out to the papers and said that uh, that I wasn't happy with the decision. I just said I, I I just don't know why they've signed him. So yes, I just felt disrespected, and and that's not who I am as a person. You know, I'm, you know, I'll if you respect me, I'll I'll respect you, and I'll run through a wall, and uh, and and then yeah, you know. Uh, when I don't respect people, I, 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 I couldn't really care less. So, so I, I did what I had to do. I, I'm sure if you ask him, he couldn't put a finger on my effort and and my commitment um, for, for for the rest of that year. Um, you know, I did everything I could because, again, I, I had a, an international spot that I, I was trying to to to, to keep, um, and that kept me going. Uh, and yeah, so then naturally, obviously, it, it uh, you know I left it in that summer, and uh, yeah, he's not on my Christmas card list. But again, I also understand that uh, you know that's it's football, and he had his reasons. Um, my the goalkeeping coach had talked in his ear and said, you know, I can't work with this guy. I don't know, um, and, and I'll never know, and, and I don't really care. You know, it's it's part. It was tough to take at the time, but. Uh, you know that that's also part of football, and it's happened to to ten thousand other players than me. And I've seen it in the clubs that I've been at, where players have been in a similar situation. And it's just part of the game, uh, good or bad. And um, yeah, I, I just take it as take it as an experience and move on. It's funny. It's going to sound really cheesy here, but like you know that kind of saying that everything happens for a reason. In a sense, it is incredibly cheesy, and it makes me want to be sick in my mouth a little bit. But um, as it was, you know that that culminated in you moved to Stoke, which was, you know, you, you loved as much in Stoke as you are in Sunderland, from what I can read. Um, I've spoke already on the show to two players that you played with in the defence, as it was. Carl Dickinson, fantastic character. Danny Higginbottom, incredibly intelligent guy. Um, and both of them absolutely wax lyrical about those days. I mean, I thought Carl Dickinson was going to cry at one point. He loved it that much. Um, <laughs> but how good was that dressing room you walked into? Because it was maybe different to the Sunland one, but it, it seemed it was as close-knit. Yeah, no, it was totally different. Uh, just coming from Aston Villa, obviously, uh, just I remember turning up at the training ground. Um, and then, you know, it was back to the Porter, Porter cabins, a bit like, the early days at Sunderland, so so it was very similar in that respect. But you know, uh, it was a, it was a boiling hot day, and, and we had two training sessions. Uh, trained the first session, and and I took my kit and uh, threw it in the the you know the bin, and 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 went to the kit man and said, I I need some kit for the afternoon session. And he was like, you know, you don't get a kit for the afternoon session. You got to dry it. <laughs> so we had to we had to go outside and, and 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 hang the kit and dry it in between sessions. So that was a little bit of a, a wake up wake up call back to back to back to um, you know back from the clouds. Um, so so uh, but yeah, I think that it, it was very similar. You know, there was a great team spirit, um, and and what Tony Pulis did brilliantly uh, was that you know he. He knew we, we didn't have abundance of talent. Like we, we didn't have uh, any squads that on paper could match a lot of the Premier League sides. Um, so so he he developed this, you know, he developed this tactic, you know, this uh, physical playing style, uh, us against the world mentality, you know. And he would mention it constantly, you know, oh, they all hate us. They, you know, they all 
you know, the odds, you know, everyone, you know, the odds of us uh, match of the day are never showing our games. We're always the last game. You know, they, they don't respect us. And, and you know, and, and, and everyone bought in. You know, we, we, we all loved that. Uh, and the fans loved it. I love it for, we didn't play great football uh, in modern terms, but, but to me, football is about winning. It's about finding a way of, of, of maximizing what you have. And, and if you don't have Messi and you have Rory Delap and you have Danny Hickenbottom, you know, you've got to find a way to fit them in and, and, and make it work. And, and, and uh, we worked around Rory Delap's long throws uh, and we knew everyone hated us. Like everyone hated us and everyone hated playing against us. Because it was a scrap. You know, whenever people came to the Britannia Stadium, uh, and I got into a bit of trouble, uh, you know, saying it about Arsenal, uh, and, and Wenger actually called me out a little bit, because you could see in a tunnel whenever they came that they'd lost already. You know, they were looking out. It was a bit windy. It was cold. Uh, they just didn't fancy it. And they knew they would have to deal with long throws and headers and elbows and tackles and... They couldn't play their style of play, um, and it worked. You know, we we had some some great seasons, um, uh, similar actually, <laughs> frighteningly similar to to the Sunderland. And then, you know, things to start to to unravel after that because you know you're trying to, you know, Mark Hughes comes in and and uh, and even at the end of the the Tony Pulis stint, uh, you know, just trying to on paper signed better players and, and getting rid of your core players that, that were sort of, you know, you know, culture builders. Uh, and then you don't get the right people in and then things start to fall apart. So yeah, so very, very similar, but uh, again, very similar in, in a, in a positive way as well. The, the atmosphere and uh, uh, probably the best atmosphere, you know, not, uh, you know, the, the derbies, uh, but in the northeast, but we, we played against against Manchester City, uh, and we, you know, that was when they were spending. It was, um, I was the uh, Brazilian striker, uh, so Robinho. They, yeah, Robinho, yeah. So they they had a really really good team, um, uh, and uh, we had a man sent off, and BT scored just before half time, and that second half. The atmosphere of the whistle, whenever the referee, you know, the fans, you know, it, it was that, that's the best atmosphere. And we ended up just clawing over the line and winning one nil. You know, that was, that's probably the best atmosphere I've ever been in. Uh, the, the noise, the intensity, uh, the fans. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a great time. And 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 again, everyone was together. The fans were together. The players were together. Uh, uh, and everyone knew sort of, yeah, it's us against the world. And yeah, it's not pretty, but, but everyone loved it. Like, like everyone outside of Stoke hated it, but everyone, everyone in Stoke, because, you know, you can sort of, it's great to bully some, some teams and it, it, it's, it's great to, you know, sometimes it's great to be that underdog that everyone hates and because it brings people together and, yeah. uh, and it certainly did. And, and, you mentioned the name then. You've you've made me skip ahead a couple of questions, which is going to make me laugh. But um, James B, um, Tony Pulis, um, did really really well for Stoke. But then <laughs> something happened in the shower. Um, were you 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 would have been 
playing there at the time. How how bizarre was that situation and what actually happened from your memory? Uh, no, I remember clearly. Uh, uh, and now that the story is, uh, I think the story was out fairly quickly. But uh, yeah. you know, so the, the the backstory is that that um, I think it was in November, December. So we we had organized. Or James Beattie was the organizer of the Christmas party. Uh, <clears throat> so he uh, and we had nothing to do with it. And and so he he had spoken to to Tony Pulis, and we we were playing Arsenal away, and uh, he had had an, uh, an arrangement with, with Tony Pulis that, that uh, we could stay down in London after the game. And uh, so we played Saturday, so we could stay Sunday and then come back Monday. So that means Sunday, Monday, we wouldn't train. Um, and then it happened. I think we, we've, yeah, we lost uh, 2-0 or 3-0 or something to Arsenal. Uh, and then Tony Pulis came in the dressing room and then he said, uh, I'll see you Monday. And uh, everyone was like, oh, but we had hotels booked and, you know, there was all sorts going on. Uh, and everyone, and then BT sort of started, uh, he started sort of jerping up a little bit. Uh, it's typical and yeah, blah, blah, blah. That was his word. Um, and, and he was sort of stood in the middle of the dressing room. And suddenly from the, uh, in the new Emirates Stadium, the, the, the dressing rooms are pretty big. So the, the main dressing room is big. And the coaches, they, at the end of the dressing room, the coaches have sort of their, their own room uh, on the other side of the showers by themselves. And then suddenly through, through the shower door comes Tony Pulis with uh, a towel around his waist. So he comes steaming through the door, st- heading straight for, for James Beattie. Just before he gets to James Beattie, he drops the towel. So he, And then he, gives, he, he jumps in, and gives him a headbutt, and then James Peters is like, "What's going? On? What's going on here?" And then so he sort of uh, it takes him like a couple of seconds just to sort of gather himself, and then he sort of tries to slap, you know, and a few players get in between, and uh, they got separated, and a few words were exchanged, and and Peters grabbed his towel and went back in the coach's room. Uh, so it's quite bizarre, and everyone was just sitting there. Um, uh, so we ended up we ended up having a Saturday night in London, but uh, we got back uh, for the Monday training, and uh, it was a bit weird after that. And uh, James Beattie, I don't think he ever played that much after that incident. He, he got frozen out, uh, and you can understand because you you know you can't. And, I, and obviously, that was what in his weird way what Tony Pulis was trying to do. You know, you can't have players that sort of. You know, we had just lost. No matter what agree, whatever arrangement had been made, uh, things change, and yeah, uh, it happened, and it was it was fun, but it was still sort of uh, it was pretty surreal, and, and and it was pretty weird after because there was a lot of things that went on after as well. With uh, I think there was a bit of a yeah, there was also like an internal investigation and James Beattie. And uh, yeah, so there was a lot of things going on. So it was it was, it was an ugly incident and uh, funny, but ugly. Uh, and it, it probably at the end of the day cost both people uh, their place with Stoke. You mentioned <clears throat> I'm visualising this in my head, and for some reason, even though I'm weirdly visualising Tony Pulis naked, 
I'm also visualizing him with a cap on at the same time. Please tell me he had the cap on. Uh, it's, I don't think he had, but uh, no, I don't think he had. Uh, That's a shame. No, sadly, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> um, as it, you mentioned before about sort of Stoke um, and the way it was against Arsenal, I think, yeah, people, I, I, we, I used to hate playing Stoke away. I used to hate it. I remember, I think we got beat 3-2 and John Cruz scored two in the last minute. We dominated you most of the game, two big long throws. And yeah, we I, I used to hate it, but teams like Arsenal specifically used to fear it. But you know, whilst teams like Sunderland, when we had Phillips and Quinn and all that there, and, and Aston Villa seemed, should we say, well-respected sides, like people respected what they were about because of the way they played. I think often, and I spoke to Danny and Carl about this as well, Stoke often got like degraded and looked at negatively in the media and oh, nothing but long ball, long throws and all this. Um, but in a sense, you you were good at what you did. There was no one that did it better, and no one knew how to counteract it. But did that frustrate you, or did it more? Did you more get enjoyment from continuously proving people wrong? No, I think. Look, like going back to some of the things I said, I think I think it brought everyone together. Uh, I think it worked. Um, it worked to our advantage, uh, and also I think there was a, you know, you look around the dressing room, and 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 you you know we, we had some. Uh, we had some good players. Like we had like uh, Ricardo Fuller on his day. Uh, if he wasn't Jamaican or if he had been German, uh, <laughs> he would probably you know had played for Manchester United or something because you know on his day um, couldn't match anyone in the Premier League. Um, you know, so we we did have really really good players, but when you looked at the bread and butter of the team or the core of the team, it was hard working. Uh, Robert Huth, uh, Ryan Shawcross, uh, yeah, uh, Hickenbottom, Roy Delap, uh, Glenn Whelan, uh, you know, Jonathan Walters. You know, you, you can sort of uh, it's it, it's <laughs> it's it's blue collar all the way. You know, it's it's a hard hard grit and determination, and and uh, you know, you got to play to your strengths. Um, and uh, and when you got a guy like Roy Delap who can bloody Flow a float a missile into the box, you know you'd be stupid not to uh, to use it. Uh, and because you can practice it and nobody else can, uh, you know it, it's a huge advantage. And and we we, you know, scored a lot of goals from that. And yeah, we were hated, but you know I, I you know it's it's yeah it it was it didn't fit in the sort of mainstream understanding of because obviously at that time it was Barcelona this and Barcelona that and everyone had to play you know you know this certain style um, but at the end of the day it's about winning and it's about creating results and it's about getting the the, the most out of what you have you know you know, I, I don't really care what other people would say about it um, you know, at the end of the day, it it, it belongs if you can win. Right? If you belong in, uh, we belonged in the Premier League for, <laughs> for uh, and and uh, there's no rule book that says you has to play in a certain way. So, um, you know, I, I I take the cap off to to Tony Pulis because he he copped a lot of crap from media and from everyone outside. You know, and he had to take that on the chin and. Uh, and and go into every training session and and keep preaching uh, uh, the the same thing that everyone else hated, you know. So uh, that that's uh, that's fair play to him as well. 
not only did it keep you in the in the Premiership, obviously as a Sunderland fan, I hate Wembley, absolutely hate it, never win there. Um, but you've not only won there, you've won there five nil, uh, which was against Bolton semi final of the FA Cup. Where does that rank on days in your career, winning five nil at Wembley? Uh, it's the, it was a weird feeling um, because you know you you go into the game and it, it's it's one of the biggest games of your career. Uh, fantastic lead up. And in your back of your mind, you're like, what if, what if we can get to an FA Cup final? You know, we're so close. It's going to be like, we were very similar. Bolton, very similar team. Uh, it, it would be a tight game on paper. And, and that, you know, that's the mindset you go in, you know, if we can sneak this one. And then everything just, you know, at half time, we were, I think we were 4-0 up or something. And, and you're like, you were, like we're already there. <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, as second <laughs> half progresses, like you, you don't get that sort of, uh, what do you call it, sort of that elation after yeah. the game because, because you have known for nearly 60 minutes. Uh, and so it was a bit of a weird, weird feeling. Uh, it was a great day. The atmosphere was unbelievable. The fans had a fantastic day. But, but I remember after the game and sitting, was that it? What, what, everything I built this up to be, and then suddenly we just cruise, or you know, we just cruise into the final. Uh, so uh, yeah, but uh, you know, and then on top of it, the final, even though we lost, it's still you know um, a great memory, great day. Um, you know, I, I've been watching FA Cup finals since I was a kid in, in Denmark. Uh, it was one of the games that was shown and looked forward to every year. And, uh, you know, then just to be there and sense the traditions and all those things, national anthem, um, you know, huge. And the build up to the game as well. Um, fantastic. Um, sadly, we couldn't get over the line, but, but uh, still, still a, a fantastic day. And I had a good game personally as well. So, so that all also helps on the memory. Um, so, yeah, sometimes you need a bit of luck. We had one chance. Kenwin Jones had one chance with about 20 minutes to go, I think. Um, and Joe Hart saved. And then uh, Torres scored uh, probably about five minutes later. And uh, we didn't we didn't deserve to win. But, uh, you know, sometimes you need a bit of luck. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it just wasn't our day. Hey, Kenwin, geez, that's a player. <clears throat> some player he was for Sunderland. Some player he was yeah. could have, could have and should have been better, in my opinion, um, yeah. as a career as a whole. But then you look at what he did, and he didn't do too bad, did he? Um, as it was, Mark Hughes came in, and to my memory, um, a lot of it sort of changed in terms of you want to change your style, you wanted to evolve. I remember it was a big thing with Stoke wanting to evolve, and I remember it being, as you said, it just kind of lost the character that Stoke had. And as it was, you. I think on the Marquis you played a little, but not maybe as much as you expect. And I think Begovic had came in. So you then moved to Australia to to Melbourne. But obviously that's where you finish your career, to where you still reside. But was that always your plan to finish in Australia? Were you always like, right, when I finish at Stoke or when I finish in England, I want to go to Australia? Or did you have was it just an opportunity that presented itself? Um yeah, no, it, it definitely wasn't a plan. Um so I I had obviously uh, I'd been seven years at, at Stoke City. Uh, my contract was running out. Uh, and I knew that last year I wasn't going to play, um, uh, going to play a lot uh, by injury, obviously. Um, so, so I actually uh, decided that I would 
start uh, cycling and and um, and that I will, you know at the end of that year I would ride across America for charity uh, as sort of a, an end of at least an end of you know potentially the career or or at least the start of a new chapter. It gave me sort of a it was something I wanted to do. Uh, and Stoke was, they were really uh, supportive and, uh, and I sort of fitted it in around my training to, to, to do the cycling training as well. Uh, so at, at, at the end of that, and I went to America, I did the ride, uh, coming back, <clears throat> uh, actually just before that, um, Manchester city, uh, or Brian Marwood, who's the head of football there, uh, called me, um, and uh, talked to me about uh, the possibility of, of Melbourne City, who they had bought a year before. They were looking for... Uh, I know him, Brian Marwood, really well, uh, actually since my Sunderland days where he was head of Nike up in Sunderland. Uh, so, so I've known him for a fair few years. He, he, he knows me and knows who I am as a person. So, uh, so he, he's, he wanted someone like me, uh, experienced, right attitude, uh, someone who could sort of, um, you know, help build a, the right culture uh, in, in Melbourne. And uh, he laid the plans out. They had big, big plans, obviously, with Man- Manchester City behind. So investment, uh, obviously the lifestyle, everything around it. We, we, we had talked about in the past, potentially America, uh, we, we, you know, some some sort of adventure at the end of, 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 of the career. And uh Australia and Melbourne sounded pretty nice, and uh, yeah, it was it was a it, it was a great way because it it was a, obviously a step down from the Premier League, but it's still a decent level, and um, uh, and I found some motivation in that extra role, you know, to be to be that leader, to be to be that um, to to be that uh, important person in the dressing room. Uh, that was important to me for my motivation, and. Um, yeah, I had some two good years, uh, and then at the end of that, uh, you know, I just knew I, I'd sort of, I'd done enough training sessions, I'd done enough, you know, pre-seasons. I just felt, and I'd, I'd always said to myself, when that day comes where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ugh, I don't quite fancy it. Uh, that's the time to to hang off the boots, and 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 I knew at the end of that second season, I was like. Ugh. I think I've done my bit, and uh, I, I was 41 as well. So, so I, uh, you know, could I have taken a year more? Yes, on paper, but I wouldn't have enjoyed it. So, I, yeah, I, yeah. So, I, 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 I stuck to my guns and, and finished when, when I had to. And uh, yeah, I never regretted that. It was the right time. So, um, so yeah. So, final question. As I was going through, obviously, I know the Sunland stuff like the back of my hand. I remember a lot of the Stoke stuff and a little bit of the Villa stuff. Um, and when I kind of built up all the moments you've had in your career, I thought, you know, bloody hell, as I was kind of saying at the start, you've done a fair bit. That's, this is going to take a while to ask, which I don't mind doing at all. It's been a pleasure. But if you could relive one moment from your career, if you could just like during lockdown, have like 90 minutes to go back and relive one of the games you played or one of the moments that you had, what would the moment be? Now you're putting me on the spot here. It's a good question. Um, I I think I would go back and uh, I'll probably go back and and play my first game at at Sunderland again. Uh, You know, it was... 
I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I should. I remember uh, I, I was very, very nervous. Uh, you know, it, it was obviously a huge jump uh, for me from, you know, playing in front of, you know, a couple of thousand of pe- people and, and suddenly you're there and, and, and the, you know, it just the, the amount of pressure is totally different. Um, uh, and again, the, the opportunity, you don't want to miss the opportunity and you want to do well and you want to, you know, you want to silence the critics because there were some critics. It was like probably like you said, you know, the people like most people didn't know who the hell I was. Uh, so and and I and 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 I've, I've been told by you know Peter Reed told me, uh, you know, a fair few years later, um, you know that yeah, in his mind as well, that they had taken a gamble on me. And had I played not particularly great the first three or four games, you know, they would have gone out and. And look for another keeper. So, um, so it, you know, it, it meant a, it meant a huge lot. But I just didn't enjoy it. I remember uh, as much as I should. So I, I would love to go back and 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 just sit in that dressing room and just, you know, just enjoy the moment and and uh, you know enjoy the build up and enjoy running around and and uh, uh, and and not think too much of of everything else around it and just in that moment uh that that that, that's a sure and and that's something as as your career progresses and you learn to enjoy it uh you know you you learn to appreciate the you know the hard work you put in uh and that's why i was happy to have the fa cup final later in my career because i really enjoyed it i really made the most of it i I managed you know make sure all my family all my friends were there uh just soaked it up uh, but but I remember definitely that first game uh, at Sunderland. Uh, yeah, it, it was it, as business as it could be. There was definitely not any <laughs> any enjoyment because there was so much on the line on that game for me personally, uh, and obviously for the team as well. But uh, yeah, for sure, um, that, 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 that I would love that. Good answer to a very good question for the so myself. But um, <laughs> Tommy, really really appreciated the chat. Um, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did kind of like going over your career and what, what's been I think an hour and a half two hours whatever it may be but um, thanks so much for your time um, thanks as always for your services towards Sunland from my perspective and uh, enjoy lockdown as best as you can in sunny Melbourne yeah thank you uh, trying to get through and we, we need some sport back on on our screens and in the stadiums and we need the fans back so fingers crossed that uh, it passes as quickly as it can and uh we can go back to normal and uh, hopefully get back to to the glory days as well at in, at Sunderland because um, that's how it works.